0: Good morning and we'll start to settle down we're going to get ready this morning to look at uh, the Word of God if you have your Bibles we're going to be in 2nd Peter 2 again If you don't have a Bible with you there are some on the back table feel free to take one of them Again, if you haven't been with us for the past few weeks, we've been going through the book of 2 Peter and looking at what he has to tell us, what he was telling the churches of Asia Minor, what he is speaking to us as well, reminding us in the beginning of God, of Christ, of his righteousness being applied to our life, what that means for us. How we are to um, be like Christ, telling us that because of his divine nature, we actually get to be partakers of that because it's Christ's righteousness applied to us and to add to our faith specific characteristics that show that we are growing as a Christian and we are becoming more like Christ, that we have the same qualities that he had while we were here on this earth. And Peter was telling them this, and as we've looked at for last week and uh, three weeks ago, looking at why Peter is reminding them of these things, why he is sharing them with these things, and he told them it is because there are false prophets that will arise. That it was the same as it was of old, and we looked at a few of the Old Testament passages of false prophets and the regulations, the laws that God put forth through Moses concerning them. And he says there will be those even from among yourselves who are going to rise up. That even though you know the truth, you will forsake the truth for a lie. And so we talked last week about three specific events that Peter was talking about. He first went to talk about uh, the cosmic judgment, the judgment upon the angels for their sin, that God did not spare them, that when they sinned, God brought judgment upon them. He then went unto a worldwide judgment, talking about the flood and Noah and his family, and that God was very sad that he had created man, but Noah found favor in his sight. And so during that time, he spared Noah and his family. He kept them safe through a worldwide catechismic flood that killed off everybody else. Let know God's judgment will come to pass, but he will also protect those whom he has called. And then even a localized judgment, talking about the nations of Sodom and Gomorrah and about the man that Peter refers to as righteous Lot, who was among them, who was visited by angels after Abraham was visited by angels and told he was going to have a son. And Abraham was told, we're going to go down and see if what we have heard, the cry rising up out of them is true, that they are as wicked as it is being said. And what is going to be their judgment. And righteous Lot tried to protect them from the people in that city. And God saved Lot and his family, but destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And so if you're in Second Peter chapter 2, looking at verse 9, just getting after being done talking about law, he says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling, passion, and despise authority. So he's warning Those that are among these churches, he's warning them that there will be those who will rise among you that are false teachers. Be on your guard. Be aware of this. Look at your own hearts. Follow after God. While you hold your place there in Peter, if you turn over into the book of Jude, it's the smallest Books. There are no chapters, there's just verses. It's right before the book of Revelation. Jude is a a good parallel of what is going on here in 2 Peter. He says much the same thing, and so this morning we're going to be looking at 2 Peter and Jude together and what they have to say concerning these things. And so if you're in the book of Jude, right before the book of Revelation... For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Saying much the same thing that Peter is telling you, that among you there are those who will deny the name of Christ, who will bring blasphemy upon his name. And that others will look at Christianity and they will see things that are untrue but believe them to be true about Christianity. They will mar the name of those who call themselves followers of Christ. He continues now in verse 5. I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. You read Jude and 2 Peter together, you can see the very similarities in their writing, exactly what they are saying to their specific audiences, what they are saying to us this morning. And the book is going to continue in the same manner. And so as we continue on this morning in 2 Peter, we're going to look at the characteristics of those who are false prophets, those who are false preachers, those who mar the name of Christianity. And it's going to be in conjunction with the beginning, we looked at the qualities of Christ, the qualities that Peter says to add these things to your faith, godliness and steadfastness and patience and brotherly love, all these different things that he extols in the first chapter the things that he says that if these are yours and they are increasing they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ he says these will keep, these things will keep you from falling but then he goes on now to talk about the false teachers and the qualities that exist among them and the signs to look out for because this is what defines their life although they masquerade as good people Inwardly, they are perishing, much like Satan who comes as an angel of light, but is really an angel of darkness. And So at the second half of verse 10, we continue our look at Second Peter chapter 2, and he says, Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. These are men who have no regard for anything higher than themselves, anything but themselves. They are consumed with self of how they appear, of what they can gather, what they can get. And so they have no concern or worry for looking into the heavens and looking at God or the angels or anything that would be greater than them and pronouncing a curse upon them thinking that they are greater. And Peter explains that. He says, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, greater than us, greater in might and power, they do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. You flip back over to Jude they I said, we're going to be flipping back and forth between the two. Jude gives a little more information. He says in verse 8, Yet in likewise, in like manner these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Talking about angels, those that have fallen. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. It's not about him pronouncing himself a judgment against those who have sinned against God, even though they are on the same playing field, angels. Michael knowing his place under the authority and rule of God, but Peter is saying these false teachers, they don't know who they are. They don't care about this, and so they pronounce judgments. And Jude would continue, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them. They walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Back over to Second Peter. So Jude providing a little more insight into what Peter is saying, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, they don't pronounce a blasphemous judgment. As Jude revealed, the archangel Michael said, the Lord rebuked you to the devil. He says the same things as Jude says, Peter coming earlier, but these like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, Blaspheming about matters which they are ignorant. Will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage of their wrongdoing. So what Peter is saying about these men. One, they care most about themselves. They don't care about others. They don't care about even those that are greater in might and power than they. Secondly, they don't listen to reason. They don't listen to thought. They don't listen to wisdom or the truth. Like animals, instinct is how they're living their lives. What is best for them? Not listening to the truth of God's Word, but looking to see what they can get out of it for themselves. How we can appear to be good before the people. How we can appear to be righteous, how we can appear to have all of these things, and yet at the same time, we can get everything that we want from them. We can fleece the flock. We can be shepherds that only care about ourselves and not the fold that we are supposed to keep watch over. Like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. That is how Peter refers to them ignorance. And Because of this, they will suffer wrong for the wage of their wrongdoing. Scripture tells us, for the wages of sin is death. Right? But the gift of God is eternal life or everlasting life. They don't understand these things. They are consumed with their own sin. And so they will suffer for it. But until that time comes, they're going to continue in the way that they are going and their hearts will not be changed. Verse 13, continuing, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. Peter continues to give insight into these people. So, as many of you know, what happens in our own lives when we're dealing with sin, if we're dealing with things in our life, what, what do we as human beings like to do? We like to hide. We like to stay in the darkness. We like to be alone. We don't want others to know what is going on. But what Peter is saying is these people, they revel in the, the light in the daytime. They're not worried about hiding things, not worried about what their sin might look like. When you're consumed with self, nothing else matters. So they revel in the daylight, in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions. Wondering to themselves, look at these people. They just leave whatever we say to them and we can get all of these good things from them. While they feast with you. So even as you share a meal, even if they were sharing the Lord's supper, blaspheming the name of the Lord as they do it, they revel in this. They revel in their sin. They enjoy it. It says they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. The traits of those who are opposed to God. Their eyes are full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They look out into the people that they are ministering to and they think to themselves, what, what can we do with these people? What unholy things can happen? And they enjoy it. Not only do they enjoy it for themselves, but Peter continues, they entice unsteady souls. So that those that are already shaky or wobbly or on the fringes of the gospel message of understanding the grace of our Lord and the freedom that it provides these people it says that they will entice away. All oh, those scriptures don't really say that. God's word is, doesn't really mean that in this area. People have, have done damage to that. Come over to our way of thinking. We're more progressive in our thoughts and our understanding. We're more enlightened than others and insatiable for sin. They will gather others around themselves that they can get to engage in these acts as well. So, not only do they defile themselves, but they are happy in the defilements of others. They have hearts trained in greed. It's hard to. uh, Actually, it's not hard to imagine. I mean, we see it. um, If you pay attention, we see it in our country, we see it in various places where there are those who stand at the front of the pulpit and they say things that the people want to hear and they totally disregard the word of God and well, it specifically state somewhere else they say well that doesn't mean that or that doesn't mean that but if you support our ministry this is what God is going to do and he's going to bless you and some people give all that they have at the expense of just getting a little bit of what the preacher is saying that they're going to. The preacher isn't leading them in the way of the gospel, he's leading them in the way of blasphemy, believing lies, believing things that are not true. And so I, I pray this morning as we're even reading this, that it, this breaks your heart, that there are people like this, that Peter is warning the people, that it's a warning for us, that as we continue to engage in ministry, even in South wilkes even in Pennsylvania, even in this nation, that there are those around us that would take the word of God and seek harm towards others in relaying a message that is pulled out of context, that is pulled away from the holiness of God in search of their own greed, in search of things that their hearts desire. Peter pronounces this, accursed children, that these people exist, that they live their lives like this, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Peter here brings one occurrence of an Old Testament prophet talking about gain. Jude referred to three specific instances of this. He said these false teachers, these false prophets, they walk in the way of Cain. They are in Balaam's error, and they walk in Korah's rebellion. And so if you're not familiar with these three passages or these three instances of scripture we're not going to look in depth at each of them if you'd like to look at them more in depth when you go home i will give you the references for each and you can look at these but the way of cain is dealing with the children of adam and eve after they were tossed from the garden of eden for their sin we know that eve bore two sons and those two sons were cain and abel this is found in genesis chapter 4 And in the story of Cain and Abel, we learn that Cain is one who worked the ground and Abel is the one who worked the herd. And so they would bring their gifts before the Lord and Cain would bring an offering of vegetables and fruits and Abel brought the firstborn of one of the animals. And God accepted Abel's offering, but did not accept Cain's offering. And because of this, Cain was very angry at God, and he decided he was going to ask his brother out into the field one day, and he killed his brother. And God calls him out on it. So Jude is saying that they walk in the way of Cain. 1 John 3.12 tells us, about this, about Cain. 1 John 3, verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. God declared Abel's offering righteous, but Cain's was not good enough and did not accept it. And the scripture tells us that Cain's heart was not turned towards God, even though he was offering a gift. It was not a gift after a generous heart. But it was one who was encouraged to live his own life by his own way. And so he had judgment pronounced on him. And Judas saying that these false prophets walk in the way of Cain or like them, have evil in their hearts, are opposed to God. Balaam is a prophet found in Numbers 22. And in Numbers 22, a group of people come to Balaam to ask him to pronounce a judgment against the people of Israel. And so it's in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan at Jericho. Even just a month and a half ago, we read about the Israelites crossing the Jordan. Going into the land, flowing with milk and honey. So they sent out, in Numbers 22, and camped in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Remember, God told him that he was going to bring them into this land and that the people that were living there, that they would be able to conquer them. And so Moab saw what happened to the Amorites and was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, this horde will now lick up all that is around us. As the ox licks up the grass of the field, so Balak, the son of Zippor, who was the king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Baor of Pathor, which is near the river, in the land of the people of Ammon, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed. And he whom you curse is cursed. So Balaam was known as a prophet. And the king came to him. And he sent messengers and he sent funds, money, money talks. So Balaam says, I will inquire what the Lord has to say about this. Wait and I will speak with the Lord. And he goes and he speaks with the Lord. And the Lord says to turn them away. Do not go with them. The people of Israel are the ones that are blessed. They are the ones that are going to be inheriting this land. So Balaam sends them away. But as you know, a king who is in fear or dread does not take the first no very easily. And so this time he sends more important people to his way. To Balaam, more more money. More money. Even though Balaam would have said to the people as they went away, the messengers, he said, even if the king were to give me his house, all of his gold and silver, I will not do this. The Lord will not allow it. But he comes, they come again to him, and this time Balaam says, wait, let me me go back to the Lord and see if he has something else to say about this. The enticement of money, the enticement of personal gain. It's interesting that a prophet here, after hearing the word of the Lord, do not do this, do not send a curse upon the Israelites, do not follow, would then say again, oh, Maybe God has another word for me this time. Maybe God's changed his mind. Your offer is very enticing. and so Balaam is referred to as one who was going after ill-gotten gain. And God used his donkey as he rode out with the messengers to keep him from dying. Instead an angel was put in his path and the donkey can see the angel and the sword, but Balaam was blind to it. And so when the donkey came to the opening to pass through, he just stood there, and Balaam beat his donkey to get him to move. Why aren't you moving? Turn away, went a different path. Again, that path was blocked. Beat his donkey again. And the third time, the donkey opens his mouth to tell him that there is an angel blocking the way with the sword. I am protecting your life. The donkey said to Balaam in verse 30 of Numbers 22, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden your life long to this day? It is my habit to treat you this way? He said, No. And the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword, drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. Balaam would later die in battle alongside the king of Moab with his people with nothing to show for it. It's his ill-gotten gain. And so Peter, 2 Peter is referring to this as well, that these people, they have followed the way of Balaam. They have forsaken the word of God, what he has told them, what they know to be true, what Peter has even said in the beginning of having the righteousness of Christ applied to their life, being freed from the corruption of the world, being freed from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. And yet they reject all of that because they love themselves, and they love their sin, and they love having others involved with it. So he says they love their gain from wrongdoing. Jude uses one other reference to talk about Korah's rebellion in Numbers chapter 16 that is found Korah uh, and the people come from the tribe of Levi, and the tribe of Levi was the priestly tribe, and some from the tribe of Levi were to be priests, and some from the tribe of Levi were to be helpers to the priests. Not everyone had the duty of a priest. So Korah would come before Moses and Aaron and would be upset that they are putting themselves ahead of everyone else. And so in Numbers chapter 16, we'll look quick at what is said. Verse 2, They rose up before Moses with a number of people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Then if you fall down to verse 8, Moses' response to Korah. Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it too small a thing for you that God of Israel has separated you? from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister to them. And he has brought you near him, and all your brothers and the sons of Levi with you. And would you seek the priesthood also? So in Korah's rebellion, what is happening is Korah is saying that all in the assembly are holy. Even though God had already said that is not the case, he set aside for himself specific people from this family group to be of the priestly line, and that they would do the priestly duties, and they would be the ones who would offer the sacrifices before God. They would be where the high priest would come from, who would go and offer for the sin of Israel, would offer sacrifice on their behalf. And then there was others who would just be in peripheral roles, who would be helping in this endeavor, but they were not tasked with bringing the sacrifice specifically before them. They did not have that honor. And Korah is saying, no, we are all holy. We are all this way. He is taking the word of God out of context to say against God's pronouncements, I believe this is what the Lord has said. And so we find out later in further on in chapter 16, that because of this rebellion, because of this thing, there's this, this showdown. Who's, who's right? Who's wrong? Is it Korah? Is it Moses? Is it Aaron? Who's on the right side? So, history tells us, the Word of God tells us that Moses and Aaron are before the Lord and they speak to them, and he tells them to remove himself from the congregation because he is going to swallow them up whole. So what happens is Moses pleads for the congregation, those that are are not a part of this. And so he goes before them. He says, remove yourselves from the tents of Korah and all those who have assembled against us. And it says, if some natural thing happens to them, that they die and they perish, we will say that we were wrong. But if some unnatural thing occurs, we were right. God has seen favor with us. And so what happens is he separates themselves. The earth opens up, swallows the people who have rebelled against Moses and Aaron, and then closes back up. Can you imagine that? Just everybody's gone. Swallowed up. Jude refers to. To these people this well this way as well. These are people who take the word of God out of its context. These are the people that blaspheme the word of God. These are the people that have no regard other than for themselves and their punishment is just. God will punish them. On a side note really quick, I was listening, if any of you have listened or heard of R.C. Sproul, who passed away this past week, uh, a giant of the faith, a great man. I was listening to some of his sermons, some of his interviews and different things and some of the questions, the Q&A that he had. And one of the Q&A was, why was God's pronouncement of judgment upon Adam so severe? And I thought O'Connor C. Sproul's uh, comment was awesome because what he said was actually a word of rebuke for those that would think that way. Because the issue in American churches and in our world and the, the issues that we're dealing with today is that we fail to understand who God is. The same way that these false teachers arise, these false prophets arise among us to preach things other than the scriptures, to take them out of context, it's because they don't know who God is. They don't understand his holiness. We don't understand his holiness. He pretty much, at the end of his statement, says, what is wrong with you people to think that God's judgment is so severe on Adam that it's continuing. should have been more severe. God has been patient and long-suffering with his people, even clothed Adam. He told him to begin with, if you ate of that fruit, you would surely die. You didn't die that day. But God clothed them, would keep them, would provide for them, and knew from the very start that he would end up sending his son for that. God is holy. God is just. That is what Peter is getting at when he is telling us about these false teachers of the holiness of God. Continue on in verse 17. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. This is, this is their judgment. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Contrasting there what he said earlier in chapter 1, that's, because of the divine nature of God and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the righteousness applied to us and being divine partakers of that, that we have been saved from the corruption that is in this world. He's saying they have not received that. These men are frauds. Though they promise freedom, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. This last passage, verses 17 through 22, is in direct contrast to who God is, to who has been revealed to us through Jesus Christ. If you think about even the first phrase there, continuing to speak about what these Men are. They are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. Waterless springs, not providing any nourishment, not providing any refreshment to anybody's lives. Waterless springs. They are promising much, but there's nothing that is given. It is all lies. To think that that is in contrast to God, to Christ, to when he is walking this earth and he is meeting individuals, even as we looked at specific verses in Isaiah, he has fulfilled those by being the one who has opened the eyes, who has opened the ears, who has made the lame walk. And he did so much more than that, that he provided life and life abundantly. Thinking about John chapter 4, when he's with the woman at the well and he's talking about if you would drink of the water that I have you would never thirst again in John chapter 4:14, 4, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again the water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life direct contrast to who the false teachers are Blaspheming in the name of the Lord. The Lord provides nourishment, provides refreshment. His word tells us in John chapter 8, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, You will be free indeed. 19 Peter says they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves. If you're free in Christ, you are free indeed. In John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Direct contrast between what the truth is and what falsehood looks like. And you need to know the difference. In Romans chapter 6, Paul would tell the people this. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. It would be the same thing that Peter would say earlier in chapter 1 of adding to your faith these things being slaves of righteousness, being slaves to God, not slaves to sin, having escaped the corruption of this world. And yet, Peter says these false teachers have not, and they would endure it, and they would encourage others to be in the same vein as they are in. And so he would tell them it would have been better had they not known the way of righteousness than to have given the truth and then to say, I want to walk in that way, but then later on, no, I'm more content with my own way. I'm more content with my own desires. And so the proverb found in Proverbs 26:11, talking about the dog returning to its own vomit, or the sow, the pig returns to wallow in the mire, returns to wallow in the mud after it is just clean, is a picture of what these men and women do blaspheme the name of the Lord for their own gain for their own purposes knowing the truth but spitting on it as I read these things and continue to study this passage and as we look next week at what Peter is moving to reminded of God's goodness through all of this, that even though there are those that exist in this world like that, God continues to be sovereign, God continues to be in rule, God continues to spread his good news of Christ through us. So Peter giving them a warning, giving the people a warning is a warning to us as well. We Turn back in Jude. We're going to close with this. Jude closes with this. After talking about much the same thing as 2 Peter, he says, But you must remember, in verse 17, That leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. That in light of all of those things, remain holy, remain like Jesus. God is using the faithful. He's been using the faithful throughout the entire history of this world to stand up against anything that is opposed to Christ, to stand up against injustice, to stand up against oppression, to stand for the truth even when no one else is standing. And Jude would remind his hearers as well of these things. Continue on in the faith. Keep yourselves in the love of God. One, look at your own hearts. And then look towards the hearts of others. That we might be used of God to speak truth into somebody's life. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, they might be changed and transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now. And forever. Amen. We're not going to close this morning with a hymn, but if you would, just close your eyes where you're at as we seek God's face before we leave. Father, we thank you this morning, even as we looked at the passages of your Son, the joy that exists of the Power that is in his name and that exists within him to heal the sick, to bind up the wounded, the brokenhearted, to know that those who are far off can become near because of your sacrifice. So, this morning, Lord, as we look at our own hearts to see if there are things in us that are opposed. To your word. Pray that your spirit would reveal those things to our hearts this morning. But sometimes there is the allure of our own desires and our own wishes above yours. and Father, that is sin in our lives. that if there are any here this morning that do not know you that they would seek out and continue to speak to their hearts just how different the truth is from falsehood and to be able to spot the differences between them and how great and holy and awesome you are as opposed to the things of the flesh. think that we who are made of dust know better than you is our creator, our Lord, our redeemer. Father, even as we continue on in the Christmas season, help us to recognize the majesty of your Son, His glory and honor. even have been coming as a baby born the flesh, putting on flesh, that God, the universe, would come down and live like one of us, to bridge the divide that sin made in our lives, to restore a proper relationship with our Creator. I uh, pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts. Continue to reveal the truth of your word in our lives. And help us to live that out in a lost and dying world. Even during this season, don't understand who this baby was what he has already accomplished for them. Pray your spirit would open up hearts and minds. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.